Welcome back to The, the mentors. mentors. This is Vadim. And Sergey. And this is a show where we tell stories of ordinary people that became extraordinary entrepreneurs despite having lack of experience, money, or connections. And today we're going to be talking about a couple of regular, old, ordinary folks named Vadim and Sergey. Yes, <laughs> we're going to be talking about ourselves. <laughs> Something that we do best. Mm-hmm. And mm. what we're going to be talking about is some of the failures that we had in our lives, of which there are many. Now, you've heard this before a lot on our show, both from us and our guests. You really can't progress in life unless you fail or unless you try to try and try over and over again and fail. And, and some of the biggest learning experiences that we've had in our lives was from our failures. And most of the businesses that we tried to start have, in fact, failed. And we're not alone in this. In last week's episode, our friend Profil mentioned how Thomas Edison was successful only because he was willing to fail over and over again. Uh, there's countless examples of successful entrepreneurs that were failing for a very, very long time until they started to actually make money or uh, have products that worked or, or whatever, or businesses that were valuable. You like how Vadim compared ourselves with uh, Thomas Edison there? That was sneaky Vadim. Um, well, you know, yeah. well, you, well, gotta, you, gotta, you gotta aspire. Own, you gotta pat your own back sometimes. You gotta aspire to great, great heights. But no, we absolutely would not be able to make money in business had we not tried a bunch of other ideas that didn't work out. Frankly, I think sometimes they the businesses didn't work out because we probably gave up too soon, but... Uh, nonetheless, it would have been a waste of time and effort if we weren't actually, if we didn't actually take away something from those businesses, and if we didn't then try to impart what those failures meant to us and what we learned onto you. Now, you absolutely also need wins in your business in order to keep moving forward, in order to go through the difficult times. And so, with every failure that we're going to be talking about in this episode, there were also some wins. But we're going to tell you stories about three businesses that we tried to start earlier on in our career in the very beginning when we were completely green and we knew nothing about entrepreneurship or startups. Uh, And we're going to talk about the failures that we experienced and more specifically what we learned through those failures and how we were able to apply that to increase the chances of success in future businesses and also to get great jobs and to do well in future jobs as well. The first business we're going to talk about is Ad Lobby. You will not find AdLobby.com right now because there's nothing there. But if you go to the Wayback Machine and go into the web archives and you look in 2007, I think, or six or so, you'll be able to find a website called Ad Lobby. And the inspiration for Ad Lobby came from this guy that we heard about in the UK who started a company. I think it was called like a thousand pixels. No, it was called. The one million dollar homepage.com. Oh, that's right. The the one million dollar homepage. That's right. Uh, and his idea was to make a million dollars by selling single pixels on the website to brands that were tiny, <laughs> but you could expand them. And each pixel costs a dollar. And he actually did end up making a million dollars through this process because it, the story went viral essentially. The one million dollar homepage and brands wanted to be a part of it. And some brands bought, you know, a hundred pixels, a thousand pixels, whatever it is, to get more real state on the website. Literally, it was just showing logos and stuff on the website. So we thought, well, this is kind of a cool idea. What kind of business can we start around advertising? And what we realized, and the insight that we had is that Everybody has some sort of real estate on the internet, right? Right now, Instagram is a big one. When we were uh, in college, 
AOL Instant Messenger was still a thing and away messages were real estate, you would put in your away message, you would say, uh, I'm not available right now or whatever, or like message me later. But people would do funny things and sometimes people would put links to stuff there. And so we thought, why not let any ordinary person who doesn't necessarily have a website, but might have a profile somewhere, MySpace, away messages, etc., be able to put links on that profile and then get paid a couple pennies or whatever anytime somebody clicked on that link. Brands would pay them. Essentially, it was like an affiliate network that we were creating without knowing really what that meant. And so with this great idea, we thought this was going to be a multi-million dollar idea. We were 19, 20 years old. We didn't know how to code. We didn't have any engineers in our network. And so we went out and tried to meet people at Bentley University where we were to try to see if anybody could build it for us. And we came across this guy who actually knew a bunch of engineers and he offered to build it for us through his engineering talent. Because we had no other options, we ended up working with him. So we sold our car for $5,000 and we had two cars at the time and so it was okay to do. We didn't really we didn't need two cars, we need two and we want, we really wanted to see this business succeed. And the guy gave us a quote for I think he said it was going to take three months to build a product, and it was going to cost five or six thousand dollars. And actually, this is the first major learning that we had. He also offered to give a big discount and or do it for free if he gave if he got a piece of the company. He actually liked the idea. He wanted equity, but we were I guess a little bit greedy, and we didn't want to let go of our baby, and so we didn't end up giving him any equity, and we decided to pay for it in full by selling our car instead, which was kind of a mistake. We we could have had a partner. We could have had somebody else who was equally as invested in the business and we could have saved some money, but we ended up not doing that. And in retrospect, we should have. So the big learning there initially was finding out that it doesn't matter how much equity or percentage of the company you retain. Sometimes you need to find other people that have the skills that you don't, that have the network that you don't, and that complementary offering, whatever that is, can help you succeed. And ultimately, when you fail, even if you have 100% of a company, 100% of zero is, Sergey, do the math. Uh, 15. No, it's zero. <laughs> and so sometimes it's worth it to not hold on to your whole company if it means that there's going to be an increased chance of success. A perfect example of this is if you're, let's say, get into a wonderful accelerator like Y Combinator, right? Y Combinator, notoriously, they give you money in your company, but they take away a pretty big chunk of your company as well, which is why when Airbnb became a multi-billion dollar company, Y Combinator became a really, really, really profitable fund. They have about 6 or 7% of that company. And so, but if Airbnb didn't go through Y Combinator, they wouldn't have the network to raise additional money, they wouldn't have the expertise to develop a product that would end up scaling, and so they would have 100% of that company that would be worth not billions of dollars. And so that is an example of something that we only could have learned by being burned. The other thing that we learned is uh, how to manage outsourced engineering talent. It is possible to build product by outsourcing engineering. There's a lot of debate on this, but we've definitely heard people successfully doing this. But you have to be very deliberate about how you do this. What ended up happening with us is this three-month project turned into like a 10-month project uh, because we didn't properly manage it. Not only were we removed from the engineers, we never actually talked to the engineers because this guy that we paid was the one that actually managed them. So we had no idea how effectively they were working. We met with him maybe once a month, whereas we should have been speaking every single week. 
We should have been looking at the product. We should have been actually working with users to test it as it was being built, like beta users. We didn't know any of this stuff. Yeah, so that was a major learning is that if you're going to outsource engineering, you have to be overly communicative. You have to tell them exactly what you want done, and you have to be checking in on it all the time. Otherwise, the scope will change, the amount of time it takes will change, and ultimately you'll be disappointed. In the end, we ended up having, after 10 months, a product that kind of worked, didn't really work. Uh, that well, and we didn't have insight into the process as we went along. So we actually ended up having to shut down that business. But there's another reason why we ended up, we had to shut down that business. We didn't do enough sales. We did cold calling a couple times where we started talking to brands about getting onto this platform. What we should have done is we had all this time to get a bunch of brands signed up and to start getting a list of users, people who would put this on their profiles so that we didn't start from scratch. We were building a marketplace, a two-sided marketplace, and we didn't do the work to do the business development for any of those sides. We thought once we build it, it would be much easier to do that. We should have been doing it all along. Now, once the product was finished, we did go out to all our friends and we had them sign up and create accounts. And they did get excited about potentially making some side money through something like this, uh, through the affiliate links that we would create for them. But we didn't do enough of it, right? We had maybe a couple dozen users, all of which were through our network, which is a great way actually to get customers and users in the beginning is to start with people that you know. And we were going after the college market. We thought they would be excited. People would be excited about uh, potentially generating some side money. But as Sergey said, because we didn't have the other side of this two-sided marketplace built out, which is the businesses, we had a few, I think, t-shirt companies signed up that were looking forward to using it, but we didn't do enough of that and we couldn't test pricing, we couldn't do any of this stuff, and eventually we ran out of steam because guess what, when you're starting a business, getting customers and getting users is the hardest thing. And so because we didn't spend our time on that, we ran out of steam very quickly, and we ended up, unfortunately, failing. But there is a silver lining. We did learn a lot, and I got my first sales job out of college. Uh, It was a little bit after I worked in finance for a while, only got my first sales job at a startup because of that experience, because we could say that we did some sales. It wasn't a lot, I'm being honest now, it wasn't a lot of sales, but it was some for our own business, and that startup that I ended up joining really found that attractive, so uh, that was a nice little benefit. Which is why we always say, doesn't matter if you're still in college or after college, when you create value, when you build something out of thin air, even if it's not successful, people will see that as great experience. And so one way to think about changing careers, uh, and we actually talked about this extensively on an episode of Mind Love, if you look it up, how to change careers, is if you build something yourself, if you create something yourself, you can leverage that experience to say, I can do this for you as well, and do it at other startups. And so when we decided to get into tech and to get into startups and leave finance, this ad lobby was on our resume. And it very much so was part of the reason why we got opportunities in the future and I guess also started to develop our tech expertise. The next brilliant business idea that we had a couple years after graduating college was a coffee subscription service where you could sign up on a website and for a monthly fee, get coffee delivered to your door. We thought this was brilliant for a couple of reasons. First of all, subscription online e-commerce subscription services were just becoming popular. And we thought coffee, everybody drinks coffee, everybody needs coffee that's tasty, they need to buy it, why not? have it 
be shipped to you every month because you're going to need it anyway. And so we had this idea and the first thing we started to do, and we talk a lot about this now, that the first thing you should do is actually get customers or try to validate the concept as quickly as possible. No, <laughs> the first thing that we did is we started building a website. We actually thought it was somewhat validated already because we saw a couple of competitors in the space doing it, maybe like one or two. And we thought, okay, well, if they exist, they can have customers, maybe we can too. So we started building a website and we actually didn't know at all how to build websites at this point. By the way, the name of the company we also loved, it was called Tasty Roast and we got the domain tastyroast.com. I think you could still go on it. No, I think we took it down a while ago because, yeah, well, whatever. But uh, we learned from our experience that when you're outsourcing to other engineers, you need to control the process more. So we took that very literally and decided we're going to build this whole product ourselves. And we thought, oh, well, there's going to be a higher chance of success here because we're not outsourcing it. We're doing it ourselves. But we again, we didn't have money to spend on engineers. Well, yeah, that's true. That was a forcing function. But again, we spent way too much time on the product versus validating that this is even a problem or this is a business that we could be successful in. With AdLobby, we should have built an MVP as well, some kind of minimum viable product to, to test this marketplace that we were creating. And with Tasty Rose, we should have focused on getting a bunch of people interested or on a signing up to a pre-sign up list to get coffee delivered to me every month, building out that customer base, that user base, and then putting together the website. But of course, we did the opposite and spent months developing a website. Three months. Three months we spent building Tasty Rose. Part of it is because we wanted to have automatic subscription service and we not only had to build a website, which we chose WordPress to build it, but we had to have a way to charge people in a recurring way every month. And back then there was not a lot of technologies that did that. So we had to find plugins and stuff for WordPress to do it. Uh, but Again, like with Ad Lobby, there is a little bit of a silver lining because there's a couple things we learned. Number one, by forcing ourselves to learn how to work with the WordPress content management system, we learn how to build a website. Now, for for example, for the mentors, Vadim built that website in like a day or maybe two days. And so we got better and better at building websites. That was our first experience of building a website using WordPress. And we even learned a little bit how to code or how to edit code doing that. So that was a really good experience. The other thing that we learned is what drop shipping is. We didn't want to hold inventory, so we found suppliers that would ship directly to our customers, and we had to go through a bunch of different suppliers to find one that worked. And so we learned what a drop shipping business is and how to manage that. Now, uh, unfortunately, that was a, a big mistake that we made because drop shipping, the cost, the supplier is actually shipping directly to your customer, there's obviously you're going to pay a little bit more for that than buying wholesale. And so our pricing was higher than what you would pay in the store for coffee if you were, let's say, were to go to Trader Joe's and get good coffee at Trader Joe's, coffee beans. And so even though our coffee was good, it was a little bit expensive. And I think that turned off people once we were ready to launch. Right. It messed completely with the pricing. And so it would have never worked at the very least at the price point that we were thinking about. But we did negotiate with vendors and we found one that didn't have minimum order sizes. And so it, it was a really good feeling to finally get that product in our hands with a logo that we created and designed ourselves. And, uh, you know, we took pictures, we wrote descriptions about it. We felt really excited about this. And we actually had a few people that signed up and uh, to the subscription service. But ultimately, we never shipped to them because the mechanics didn't work out and we didn't have a big enough list. The other big learning is we, we thought because this is such a novel idea that, uh, again, if you build it, they will come this classic mistake. So where we should have been figuring out our marketing funnel at the same time as building this website, we didn't do that. And so once we launched, 
we didn't really have a customer base. And that made it very easy to give up. After a month of not really having any customers, it's very easy to give up on an idea. So in hindsight, we, we would have if we were to do this again, which we probably won't because I don't think coffee subscription businesses are very profitable at this point, we definitely would build a customer list first. The other thing that we should have done, and this is akin to the mistake that was made in the first business, is partner with other people that really understood e-commerce and dropshipping and the like, and at the very least have check-ins with them where we talk about our progress, because then we would have learned really early on what some of these potential pitfalls would be, and we maybe would have been able to avoid spending too much time on, let's say, the, the website development side of things. But of course, like anything else, like Sergey mentioned, learning WordPress and the ins and out of it was incredibly valuable because now... I'm able to build websites for ourselves really quickly. I've also, in in many of the jobs that I've had, have been the webmaster and have been in charge with running WordPress, installing WordPress and the like. And so I've been able to use that skill at other jobs as well. And I became much more technical through the process. Yes, Sergey and I were nerds in high school and we took computer science, uh, C++ and Java, but uh, with web design, it's a little bit different. So I learned a lot more about HTML, JavaScript, CSS uh, that I was able to then take into future roles as sales engineer, as product uh, manager and product director at other startups. And so again, these skills we were able to use not only in our future businesses and even this content business that we have now, the mentors, but also in jobs. So not everything was wasted. The opportunity did give me and Sergey additional skills and being more technical. When we work with other startups and technical founders now, we are able to understand their uh, the engineers a lot more than we would have in the past through partly through this experience. Uh, but again, we didn't focus on the right things. It should have been customer acquisition, just like the advice now we give to every single entrepreneur that we work with. If we notice that they're working on their product way too much and on the features way too much. The final business that we're going to tell you about that didn't end up working out, but we did learn a ton from is Meatly. Uh, we probably mentioned this experience in the past, but there was a lot of learnings there. This is a business that we tried launching while still at our finance jobs, and we participated in a program called Startup Weekend, which was essentially a weekend hackathon where you come together, pitch ideas, and work with people over the weekend to build a product. And we had a seven-person team. We were actually written up in... Uh, Boston, which was a local Boston publication, which felt pretty cool. And we met a gentleman who ended up being interested enough to continue working with us after the project. And we were pretty excited because he was an MIT engineer, hardware engineer, but he knew how to code as well. And so he decided to build a product with us. And what the product was, it was essentially a way to host office hours for any topic. So if you're a venture capitalist or an accountant or a startup founder, you could host office hours to offer your advice for free. And the idea is we would let people offer office hours for 15 minutes, half an hour for free to people. And eventually we could potentially upsell by having longer office hours where people could charge for it. So because we got some press and we had some people actually signed up to our user list early on, we decided to apply to Techstars, which is uh, one of the top accelerators in the world and at the time was uh, really big in Boston. And so we actually made it into the top 20 finalists that were going to be considered for the program. Now, they only let in, I believe, 10 companies ultimately in the end. So we got really, really close and we were super excited. But then in the last minute, we thought to increase our chances of making it in the final 10 and making it into the program that we should pivot. And so we decided to change the idea a little bit from office hours to actually helping people meet at networking events. And it turns out we pivoted into an idea that Techstars had funded before and completely failed. And so 
even though we were we came really close, even though we got more traction, we did some of the right things like focusing on getting people signed up to our beta list. We still made a mistake in pivoting in the end and we didn't get into a program that could have given us funding and could have given us the expertise that we needed to keep on moving forward. Biggest thing we learned from that business, and actually once we didn't get in, that technical co-founder bailed and he decided he didn't want to work. He literally, he's, he's actually an awesome guy and he's done a lot of successful things since then, but uh, clearly this idea he primarily was motivated by because we got a lot of traction early on through Startup Weekend and through almost getting to Techstars, but once we didn't, literally later that day we got an email saying, hey guys, um, I'm going to be working on something else now. He just didn't have the time uh, or desire, I guess, to work on this anymore. So clearly he wasn't very serious about the idea. And I guess we weren't either because a a couple weeks later, we gave up on it as well. But a couple major learnings. And I think the biggest one is how to work with a co-founder and how to vet a co-founder. This guy was a great guy, but the trust just wasn't there. And trust is one of the biggest components of a successful co-founder relationship. He did not trust that we could execute on the business and sales side. In fact, the one red flag is when we were filling out the Techstars application, he scrutinized every single word on the application where he should have trusted us with that. He should have just been building the product and trusted us with the application, but he did not. And vice versa, because he was a strong hardware engineer, but not that strong as a software engineer, we didn't actually trust that he could execute fully uh, to the best of his ability and create a product that was really functional and really beautiful. And so mutually, the trust wasn't quite there. We also learned that when you're working with a co-founder, when you're putting together a team, you need to be very specific about the decision-making process. Actually, during one of those meetings, he mentioned that every major decision should be made by the three of us. And so in other words, it'd be three CEOs effectively, right? And we should have clarified in the very beginning that we as the business founders or either myself or Sergey would be the one that would make the ultimate decision. We should have made this very clear in a document or an email or something, but we didn't. And so we learned through that experience that when you're working with a co-founder, and of course we then later on in the future made that very clear with other co-founders and partners that we parted with, is when you're working with them, be very clear with what the decision-making process is so that people are on the same page and they're not bitter when you make a decision that they're not happy with. With. A democratic process doesn't work very well in a business because sometimes you have to make difficult decisions and if you have to wait for somebody else to confirm or deny, you'll have uh, decision paralysis and you won't be able to make any progress. And so that's one thing we learned as well is obviously you need to have trust with the partners that you work with. You need to have people that complement your skills accurately, but also you need to be very clear about how decisions are made and what the business actually looks like. Part of that decision-making process that you outlined can have something baked in where certain major decisions you will confer on with your other co-founders and they should be made aware. You're not just going to be making decisions in a vacuum, but ultimately there does need to be one final decision maker so that you don't face that decision paralysis that Vadim alluded to and so that the business can actually move forward. But through this process, there was also a lot of benefit. Ultimately, it was still a great learning experience, even though that company ended up not succeeding. We learned how to work directly with engineers as co-founders, and that was really the first time that we had the opportunity to do that. We learned how to effectively pitch investors. Clearly, we got Techstars excited. We pitched a couple of other angel investors as well. So that was really our first ever time pitching angel investors. We even learned how to have a compelling story so we would get some press. So all in all, it was a beneficial experience. I think the biggest benefit is learning how to actually work with a co-founder and how to vet them. 
And again, we were able to leverage this direct experience in our resumes and in the future conversations that we would have and the th- with other companies, let's say, if we wanted to get jobs there. And ultimately, by going through that failure, it was reinforced to us again that even though we focus more this time around on customer acquisition and getting users, that has to be first and foremost the focus with any type of tech product. So we encourage you to, no matter what crazy idea, business idea you have, or even if it's a really simple idea that's not really revolutionary, but could give you an interesting experience, we encourage you to try it because you will learn from every single failure. Most people do not succeed on their first idea, And you can't get to that ultimate success if you just don't try things and actually throw yourself in the deep end. So if you've had an idea that you've been thinking about trying and hesitating for any number of reasons, go ahead and try because it'll bring you one step closer to ultimately having a successful business. The other really good takeaway is the more you try something, the more you fail. Not only will you learn, but you also develop more of a thick skin. And ultimately, with every successful person that you read about or we've even interviewed, the one thing that's consistent is they always keep on pushing with whatever they're working on and eventually something happens where they're successful. So in order to increase your chances of success, you have to continue to work at something. You have to be willing to fail and you will develop that thick skin and hopefully at some point there will be a turning point and you'll actually get what it is you were looking for. So don't be afraid to fail. Get out there and try at the very least what's the worst that can happen. You'll learn a lot more and you'll be able to leverage it for your future experiences. And hopefully you learned a little bit from our failures so you don't have to repeat the same mistakes. We'll see you next week. Bye.